Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, it is officially holiday season. Many of you probably have already seen these crazy people that have posted their Christmas trees that are already up in their house on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you prefer to use social media. You've probably already seen people starting to celebrate Christmas, right? But we ain't even got to Thanksgiving yet. But here's the other sad part. There's some of you that already have your Christmas shopping done. Y'all are some overachievers. But there's still some of you that might be normal that want to wait until after Thanksgiving to put your tree up. My kind of people. Whatever the case is, man, Christmas is coming. But can we be honest this morning? Christmas is hard. It can be, right? For some of you, this is your first Christmas without somebody that you love. For some of you, this could be the last Christmas with somebody that you love, right? There are many hardships that come with the holidays. But there's also a lot of joy that comes with the holidays, right? But I know for me, man, one thing I struggle with, and it might be the same for you, is this is the time of year where you start getting asked the question, well, what do you want for Christmas? Like, they're, they're trying to make this list, and you don't really know how to answer this. You struggle to answer this, right? Because you want to be realistic, but you also want to be within a budget. I know growing up, my parents, they would ask me, what do you want uh, for Christmas? I'm like, well, a new truck. And I'm 12. I can't drive. And so my dad would be like, all right, cool. We're going to Bass Pro and getting your little kid's play set. You know, or I'd say, all right, well, dad, you know, I want a boat. Cool. We're going to get you the truck and the boat for the same price. You know, and so growing up, it was hard to answer these questions because I wanted to be honest because I knew what I wanted, but I also wanted to be realistic. So I just say, hey, whatever, it's cool. But what about with God? Do we just say, God, it's cool, whatever? Today we're going to continue in our Ephesians series. Um, Pastor Howe asked me to wrap up this series. And so uh, I talked to somebody earlier and they said, wait, you're covering four through six today? No, we're not. We're going to finish chapter three. And we're looking at the last two verses of chapter three. And then we're going to pause. And then we'll do a holiday series and then resume in, uh, in the beginning of the new year, I believe. And so he said, Daniel, I want you to close the series out focusing on the last two verses of chapter three. And I was like, Pastor how two verses? That's it? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, short sermon, let's go. And uh, what I realized is, man, there's so much to unpack in these verses. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at uh, verse 20 through 21. So a little background on this. We started... Uh, this section of Ephesians last week. And this is Paul's final piece of the prayer for the Ephesians. In this, uh, we looked at how this is a prayer for strength, a prayer for grounding, and a prayer for fullness. And so looking at this part, verses 14 through 19, Paul is praying specifically for the people. But in our passage today, we're going to see that's not so much about the people as it is about God. And about him getting the glory. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you should already be turned there. But we'll read. If not, it's on screen. 
So uh, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is wrapping up his prayer here, and he's giving essentially a charge to the Ephesians, and he's saying, God is able. He is still at work, and in all things, he is, get to, he is to get the glory. And these three things are what I want to spend our time focusing on this morning. So point number one, God is able. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, more than all we can ask or imagine. Do we really believe that God is able? I think that's something that we can wrestle with, and I hope you do, because, see, Paul is saying here that he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, but in order for that to happen, we have to do two things. We have to ask and we have to imagine. And so this morning, I want to break that down. So your little sub-point is God is able to do more than what we ask. Well, if he's able to do more than what we ask, guess what? We have to ask. We must first ask God. What are things that you ask God for? Do you ask God for very specific things? Or do you ask God for very vague things? Do you ask with the spirit of boldness and authority? Or do you ask with the spirit of timidity? See, I think these are things that we need to wrestle with because how you pray matters. And how you ask God matters. You see, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor, he's an author. I believe I've alluded to him in here before. But he wrote a book a couple of years ago titled Dangerous Prayers. And in this book, he breaks down the prayer culture among our society today and the prayer society or the prayer culture of the Bible. And listen to this. He says, the reality is we say very simple prayers. A lot of our prayers today go like this. God bless this food. Amen. God heal so-and-so. Amen. God protect us as we travel. Amen. You get the point. It's very simple. There's not much authority. It's just kind of, God do this. But then he compares it to the prayers of the Bible. And I want us to look at this. At the walls at Jericho, the people are marching around and they're praying, God knocked these walls down, right? And they had to keep going and keep going. And finally, they came down. But they were, they were praying with boldness and with a specific purpose. In the lion's den, Daniel prayed for protection, right? In fact, Daniel's in the lion's den because he prayed. And he got caught praying. And so he goes into the lion's den. He's praying for protection. And God comes and shuts the lion's mouth and he's not harmed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like cats, right? I'm not going in the lion's den because I don't like lions. And I would be praying for my life. Daniel's praying out of desperation because he knows what a lion can do, right? In the belly of a whale, Jonah is running from God. And he gets thrown overboard because God has told him to do something and he's avoiding it. And so the storm comes, he gets thrown overboard, the well eats him and he wrestles with God. And he's like, God, I'll do this, but I don't want to. Looking at these prayers of the Bible, man, they were honest. They were desperate. 
They were fiery. They were gutsy. They were real. Which of these two examples sound like your prayer life? You see, in Luke eleven eleven through 13, it says, which of, you, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants you to ask him of things. Or God wants you to ask things of him. But when you ask him, you need to be okay with the response. Because sometimes it's, yes, hey, I'll do that. Sometimes it's, absolutely not, I'm not doing that. And sometimes it's, all right, let's wait a little bit and then we'll see. It's not yet. Right? And we have to be okay with that response when we ask things of God. The second thing that we see is God is able to do more than we can imagine. What do you dream of? If somebody was to ask you today, what is your biggest dream? What would you say? See, here's the cool thing about God is he wants us to ask, but he also knows what we dream of and what we imagine. What you think of drives your life, right? If you want the new big house, guess what? You're going to work hard. If you want that new truck or that new boat, you're going to save for it. And ladies, if you want the new Lululemon line or the new Golden Goose line, guess what? You're going to go buy it, and your husband's going to have to work harder and save for it. <laughs> right? I mean, but what, about, what about godly imagination? Right? Because sometimes God gives us a vision, and he says, hey, I want you to go do this. Or you see a need here, feel it. But then he says, oh, and by the way, you're the answer to that vision. Right, I know a lady um, in the Jackson area, her name's Teresa Redenbacher, and she felt a need for homeless people. She said they have no place to shower. And so she started praying, God, give them a place to shower. And the Lord said, all right, you do it. And so she created this ministry called Shower Power, and I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook. It's been on the news, and it's blown up because she had a vision, and God said, you're the answer to your own vision. Right? You're the person that's supposed to go and do that. And it has blown up, and it's been awesome to watch. Last week, I had the opportunity to speak at BA, and their character quality of the week was availability. And so in preparing for that message, I realized the greatest people that are in the Bible were the people that never imagined that God would use them in the way they did, that he did, and they were available, Right? Let's look at this. So Moses never imagined that he would lead the Israelites into or up to the promised land, right? Moses was a murderer. He had a stuttering problem. And when God said, this is what you're going to do, he's like, oh, no, I'm not. But he was available. Abraham never imagined that he would have to leave the comfort of his life and go to a place that God says, I will show you. He has no guarantee. He just says, I'm supposed to follow God and go. And he does it because he's available. And we still talk about him because he's the father of the faith, right? Noah, this dude never saw rain and God said, I want you to build a boat. Now, Noah was a drunk, right? And so... 
if you're one of his neighbors, you're probably sitting there like, what is this dude doing? Like, why is he building a boat? It's not raining. It's because God told him to, and he said, I'm available. Paul, man, he never imagined that he would be the person who spread um, the Christianity faith all over Asia or write most of the New Testament. He was killing Christians. And Jesus met him and said, I got a new plan for you. And he said, here I am, I'm available. I saw a video the other day of Steve Harvey. And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but Steve Harvey does some things in between like commercial breaks and stuff and he talks to his uh, to his crowd. And in this video, he says, if God showed you all that you uh, were ever to amount to in your life, if he showed you now what you would be at 80, 90, 100 years old, you would run from it. Because it's more than you could ever imagine for yourself. Is your imagination limiting your availability to God this morning? Second thing we see in this passage is, man, God is still at work. It says, according to his power that is at work within us, right? Do you believe that God is at work in your life? I think that's an honest question. And again, we can wrestle with this. And the passage tells us very clearly that he's at work within us. But what exactly does this mean? It's cool to read it, but let's understand it. In biblical terms, I think that this can be defined as sanctification. Sanctification is defined as the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. The action of causing something to seem morally right or acceptable. See, once we accept Christ in our lives, we begin this process known as sanctification. And it's a journey. And it's something that God does in us. We can't sanctify ourselves. God began this process of sanctification when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus took your place, bore your sins, so that you could become a dwelling place for the Lord and that the Lord could continue to work in your life. So now you have a choice to make. Will you allow God to continue to work in your life or not? The choice is yours. But God begins this Work in us when we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. In fact, it says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit dwells in your midst? See, when you accept Christ, the Lord begins to work within you. You make a new enemy, right? When the Lord comes and dwells inside of you, the enemy starts to come against you because he hates what's inside of you. That's why the enemy is attacking you, because you are now a dwelling place for the Lord. James 1, 2, 3, 4, I love this passage. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. See, when you face hard times in your life, the Lord is doing something in you. It is causing you to draw closer to him. And that should bring you joy this morning because it says he is still at work within you. 
Find joy in that. But how? It's hard. It is so much easier said than done. But here's what I want us to be comforted by this morning. If you're facing trials and if you're going through stuff, it's because the Lord has not left you and he has not abandoned you. And he is working within you to produce a deeper faith. He's drawing you closer to him. But again, it's a choice. You can either draw closer to him or run from him. And the choice is yours this morning. So why? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why do we walk through these hard seasons? And this may be questions that you're asking this morning. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why, why, why? Surely it's not just so that our faith is deepened, right? Because why am I having to go through this just to produce a deeper faith? And I think there's actually more to this. I think it's because you have a deeper faith, but I think it's because God gets the glory. Point number three, God is to get the glory. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's think about this. All right. If we get everything that we ever asked for, or we accomplished everything that we ever dreamed of, or if we got through every situation in life without God, who gets the glory? We do. But as Christians, man, we should be able to look at the situation and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you're going to be glorified through this. I want you to have glory in all things, good, bad, or indifferent. You're to get the glory, but as humans, we want the credit. We want to tell everyone that, man, we worked hard, that we deserve this, that we did whatever we had to do to get through, that we manned up, that we, on and on and on. First Peter 5, 6, it's a verse that I've clung to for a long time. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God calls you to humble yourself. If we're not humble, who gets the glory? We do. So again, we have another choice to make. We can either humble ourselves under God and allow him to work in us and lift us up in the right time, or we can get humbled by God. I like the first option better, right? Glory starts with humility. Glory is defined as praise, honor, or distinction extended by a common consent. Walter Payton once said this, When you're good at something, you let everyone know. When you're great at something, they let you know. See, when you're good, when you're prideful, when you're arrogant, you're saying, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me, and you're drawing everybody's attention to yourself, but when you're great at something they're saying hey man look at you look at you and then you now have the opportunity to deflect the glory back to God and say hey it's all because of him now I'm not much of a basketball fan but when I think of humbleness humility I think of the goat debate right the greatest of all time who is it is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James and many of you probably have opinions on this Please don't talk to me after the service about it because I don't care. I'm sorry. You can come talk to Ridge Hamill. Where's Ridge at? There he is. That's who you want to debate with right there. See, Michael Jordan never in his career 
went out and said, look at me, I'm the best player that ever was. He allowed his work and what went on behind the scenes to allow him to do his talking on the court. But then you have LeBron. And I was watching a Stephen A. Smith interview on him. And you know Stephen A. Smith can get heated when he wants to. And he says, LeBron James cannot keep his mouth shut. He invites the attention. And he says, look at me, I'm the best there ever was. Now, again, I'm I'm not a basketball fan. I, I don't care. I just like messing with people about it. But because of the way that LeBron handles himself... He has many controversies and many enemies in his life. Why? Because he wants the glory. So what about you? This morning, do you want all the glory? Or you allow your actions to speak louder than your words and point the glory back to Jesus? I think that's all something that we can wrestle with. I know it's something that I've been wrestling with. And I tell our students this all the time. Man, your fruits reveal your roots. What I mean by this is, man, if you are prideful, arrogant, obnoxious, disrespectful, you fill in the blank with whatever you want to say, you're wanting the glory and your roots are in pride and in self. So in the same way, if you're rooted in Christ, then your fruits should be the fruits of the Spirit. What are those? Let's look. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits of the Spirit will be evident in your life, and you can point people back to Jesus when you're rooted in Jesus. If you're not rooted in Jesus, your fruits are going to show it. And if you are rooted in Jesus, your fruits are going to show it. Your fruits reveal your roots. Now, I don't know what it is that you're walking through today. Everybody has different stories. Everybody has different seasons of life. But I think that this message applies to everybody in the room at some state or at some stage. So here's the response. God is able and he is willing to work in your life immeasurably more than all that you can ever ask or imagine. Maybe this morning you need to come boldly before the Father and say a dangerous prayer, right? I I heard another pastor one time, and he was talking about how he wants to be a church that says hot prayers, H-O-T, humble or honest, open and transparent. Why can't that be us? Why can't we be a church that says humble, honest, open, transparent prayers. The altar's here for you. And we're going to be down here for you. We would love to talk with you. God is still at work within you this morning. And if you have breath in your lungs this morning, he's not done. Maybe you need to make a choice this morning to follow Jesus for the first time. We saw life change earlier. And we've seen a lot of life change over the last couple of weeks. God's doing a work here, guys. And it's so awesome to be a part of. But maybe this morning he's working on you. And you need to talk to somebody. Man, we would love to talk with you down front. We'll have some counselors and stuff. And then lastly, God is to get the glory. In your life, walk humbly. Live with humility. 
point people uh, to Jesus by the way that you live your life. Your fruits are going to reveal your roots. In all things, man, God is to get the glory. Let's pray. God, we come to you now, and we just thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for this message that, um, that God, you allow me to preach. God, I pray that it wasn't my words, but it was your words. God, and I pray that you spoke to your children this morning. God, I pray that uh, we'll just respond in the way that we see fit. God, I pray you continue to work in and through us, um, God, as, as we go our separate ways. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.